Here's a message from today's episode's sponsor. Have you heard about Prescriptive Health? Prescriptive is a healthcare technology company rewriting the script for the U.S. prescription market. This is a first in pharmacy. The Prescriptive platform enables pharmacies to connect with their patients in a more equitable and transparent ecosystem, which will foster fair pricing, better access to medication, increased adherence, and most importantly, better patient engagement. The Prescriptive team believes in empowering healthcare consumers with easy-to-use tech to fundamentally change how prescriptions reach and impact the lives of people throughout our nation. Join Prescriptive Health in rewriting the script. Learn more at Prescriptive.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hey everyone, we are back for season six of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Marina Buxov, a functional medicine pharmacist and holistic herbal educator. I'll be sharing inspiring stories of my guests who have shifted into holistic modalities, both personally and professionally. My co-host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, will be joining me to lead the Journal Club episodes to share an evidence-based approach to holistic and herbal medicine. I'm so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode three of this season of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I can't wait to showcase the incredible lineup of guests for you this season. Today, I'm sharing a ton of value about dieting, fasting, and metabolism with powerful information and insight from Dr. Ashley Dwyer. She is a pharmacist, ACE certified health coach, and former NPC athlete who, after going through a slew of her own health issues due to extreme lifestyle habits, left the traditional Western medical model to start her own company and really help others through holistic healing. Her team, Team BDN Coaching, specializes in holistic nutrition, macro tracking, metabolic restoration, individualized fitness plans, accountability, and community, helping women eat more and reach their health goals. Dr. Ashley is also certified in plant-based nutrition, health mindset coaching, and functional nutrition and metabolic science. Her goal is to help as many individuals as she can feel their best and reverse years of metabolic adaptation. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Ashley Dwyer, and she is a pharmacist and a certified health coach like myself. So welcome to the show, Ashley. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, I'm so happy to have you here. So I'd love to dive in and talk all about your very interesting business model, if I may say so myself. But before we get there, I would love to first start off with what started your pharmacy slash health journey in the first place. Um, I mean, the pharmacy journey started, I, I think I'm not sure of your direct school path, but pharmacy was kind of like right out of high school. It's like, I want to do health and like be in the healthcare industry, but not do a bajillion years of school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I think I started on that pre-pharmacy track. It was in demand back when I graduated, there were still signing bonuses. And then I graduated and that wasn't the case anymore, <laughs> but I started in that realm and then just kind of throughout the last 10 years of my life through doing bodybuilding competitions and seeing that extreme, like unhealthiness versus healthy, and then going through my own health problems in my mid twenties, uh, late twenties, it just shifted my whole perspective of Western medicine, holistic medicine. And I just found, you know, retail pharmacy was where I was at. So it's not always, it's not always fun there. I will say, or you don't always have the time to counsel patients how you'd like. So, you know, that shifted me out of pharmacy, but to get in, it was the, I just want to help people and do it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that from a lot of guests here on the show. Is there anything in particular in your childhood or in your family that really drew you towards the health field? And where exactly did you grow up and where are you now? 
So I am born and raised in South Florida. So now I'm in like Fort Lauderdale. I was born and raised in West Boca Deerfield. So if you're not familiar, it's very close. It's like 30 minutes away. So I'm still here. <laughs> uh, I love, love South Florida, except it's, um, we currently have like crazy rain because it's summer and super hot, but uh, no, honestly, nobody in my family is in the healthcare industry. Nobody is a doctor. No. So I don't know where it came from. I'm like the segue, right? I don't know. <laughs> Divinely inspired. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And, you know, we just had some rain yesterday too, because it's been so hot. So I was like welcoming it so much. And finally today I was able to go on my balcony because I haven't been able to even peep outside the last couple of days. So bad. Yeah. And you guys, I know it gets really hot up there too. You said Brooklyn, right? It gets very yes. hot. Yes, mm -hmm. it does. Yeah. So we just had a heat wave here, but anyway, let's get back to your story. So I'd love to know as you were finishing pharmacy school, what led you to go to retail and then what have you been discovering along your health journey and to continue your training in the health field after that? Yeah. Um, so after pharmacy school, you know, we have the choice of residencies and all of that. And I kind of already knew I wanted to work with people. Like I had the outgoing personality. I didn't like the hospital rotations, even though, you know, you can be good at them. I like the clinical aspects sometimes, but I didn't want to work in a hospital. So I did retail. Uh, and then, you know, shortly after being in retail for a while, you realize that it's taxing. It takes a toll on you, the long hours, the not really having enough help. So I bounced, I, I switched companies. Like I used to work for Walgreens was my first one. And then I went to Publix. You guys don't have Publixes where you are, but it's a grocery chain down here. And it was a little better, but it's still the same, the same issues, right? So it's just not really what I wanted to do. I took a, a passion and like a, I had a really big, I started working with functional medicine doctors myself. And I was like, Ooh, I love this. I love like going for the core issue. I love solving the core problem instead of treating the symptoms, right? And in the pharmacy, we're kind of just handing out Band-Aids for a lot of symptoms all day when we could really just change diet and lifestyle. So that shifted my like aha moment and then just further took health coaching exams and things like that to get more knowledge. Because to be honest, in pharmacy, we're not really taught nutrition. We're not taught any of that. So um, I really wanted to dive in deeper and figure out how to even become a functional medicine practitioner. And I was like, all right, four more years of school. Maybe not, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. That's another common path that people go down on. Um, and yeah, I think I speak to a lot of pharmacists that feel the same way about, you know, dispensing these band-aids and of course, sometimes they're necessary right. and life-saving and, you know, it's a blessing to have them but also to be judicious about when they're really necessary and when can we support other ways. And especially if we can get to the root cause or the more upstream target versus just the symptom level, you know, cause otherwise it's not really serving the person. And we make the assumption that the person is not willing to do the lifestyle and the dietary changes. So we kind of just wave our hands up and, and don't even tell them about these options. And nor are we really taught in school, like you said, not even MDs get a lot of hours in nutrition. They get like a few credits at most. So it's a really interesting thing that we're skipping over the whole foundation of health. And of course, I could harp on about how it's systemic and how, know. you know, that access to good food is challenging, let alone, you know, the knowledge of what to what to eat. So, yeah, it's a huge problem all around. That could be a whole episode <laughs> on its own, right? The, the systemic of Western healthcare. But yeah, and I just didn't like the Band-Aid approach didn't work for me. Right. And, and uh, like, just to give a little um, brief thing, I had a thyroid issue going on, but it was because of my lifestyle choices that I gave it to myself almost. It wasn't hereditary or Hashimoto's, but I was given medication right away instead of fixing these lifestyle changes. And now I'm kind of stuck on that medication and I don't want to be on it forever, but it's very hard to get off once you're on it. So, um, I wish I would have had someone 
who was there and been like, we could do this instead. Yeah. That's what I want to do for others. Yeah. Absolutely. So where do you see health coaching fit in into the whole grant scheme? And I know you mentioned one of the reasons you went into it is it was just like a shorter path, but is there anything that you're really passionate about when it comes to health coaching or any advice you have for people that are considering getting health coaching as far as what program and what are the benefits? So health coaching was just kind of the not the easiest path. Cause I don't want to say that I took like the easy way out, but it is a good umbrella to get you moving in that direction to be certified where it teaches you like, not like fitness in a general sense. It teaches you nutrition in a general sense. And then I went on to get further uh, certifications in, in other um, avenues for, for deeper understanding. But health coaching has a great place because unlike your doctor's office, where you see them once a year, once every three months, like maybe once a month, may I doubt it highly that any insurance will even cover that, right? You're working with someone who literally has you for feedback and results every week, sometimes every day. Um, so you're getting a really high touch environment where you don't get that from a doctor's office or even a nutritionist or a dietitian in, in regular Western practice. Now, I know some dietitianists, dietitians and nutritionists who've sectioned off and also done their own private coaching and consulting like what I'm doing. So it's just a, like, I kind of tell clients when we're on the phone to sign up for a program, like it's meant to be a semester of school almost. Cause these programs, the shortest we do is 12 weeks. And so you're coming in, you're essentially paying someone to keep you accountable, help you with your struggles, also get you over certain hurdles. And we can go into that in a, in a minute, but, um, also learn things that you didn't know. So you don't know what you don't know. And you're, you know, we do macro counting. So if you don't know macros, having a coach to teach you all about macros in three or four weeks, instead of researching it and trial and error on your own, like I would rather just have someone show me real quick because time is more valuable to me. Right. So you have someone there who can do all of these things for you and do custom protocols for you where you don't get that from a doctor's office at all hardly even functional medicine can follow up with you that much, right? Like not even daily. So that's where I think the difference is and where it fits in. Hopefully, you know, not all health coaches are holistic and not all health coaches are actually certified either. I could go into that in another topic, but, <laughs> but I like the little area where we fit into the holistic area. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So Follow-up questions from that. Where did you get certified? Was it tied to the program that you took or is there a specific exam that you sought out after you got trained? So I did the um, certified health coaching through ACE. So um, Amer I think it's a American Council of Exercise. They were like very highly accredited. So I did their health coaching program. And then throughout the years, I've found other programs that I've sought out. So like plant-based nutrition, even though we're not, we're not plant-based or vegetarian, but to have that knowledge, I wanted it, uh, through eCornell. So like their online program, I've done another functional, functional nutrition and metabolism science certification, because that's what we do is mostly metabolism. And I'm going to do like a pre and postnatal one coming up the end of this year, just to help more clients out and be able to really help postpartum moms and, and pregnant women. But it's, it's just whatever, like, I like to still constantly learn and constantly grow and, and, and become more knowledgeable in the space. So whatever I can find that, uh, what fits that niche I want, I want to do it. Sign me up. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I want to touch on something that you mentioned about time and money. So I consider those two to be our biggest resources, right? And also energy, like, you know, the quality of energy that you do something with is also different. So those three, I consider our top most available resources that we can combine in, in different um, sort of permutations and combinations and levels to get an outcome um, or a result. So we can spend more time if we want to research everything ourselves. But like you said, not all the answers are even in your doctor's office. And it's definitely not all on Google. Right. So it does, you know, really save a lot of 
time and energy if you actually go directly to the source and get the coaching. Plus you're getting the accountability built in because many people do struggle with, okay, now I think I know what to do, but how does it actually fit into my life? And then it just ends up not being done. So it's like, I find myself doing that sometimes too. Like I know all the herbal protocols, but sometimes I just don't do them. And then I'm like, oh, that's why it didn't work. Yeah. So, so do you have your own like accountability partner or coach? Yes, I do. I invest in my own coaches all the time. I was going to say, I have two coaches right now. I have a health coach holding me accountable, even though I know what to do, right? Like you just said. And then I have a business coach because nobody teaches you. I didn't, we didn't go to business school. We went to pharmacy school. So having someone show me the quick route is way well worth it to me. (laughs) Yes. I have a business consultant and I have a, I guess, emotional healing coach is what I have. I love that. I I could send you, you know, their contact if you're interested, but um, yeah, I'm always doing like self-care and self-development, you know, um, self-help. I think it's really, really important. So um, I also want to go back to you and the populations that you serve. So how did you start carving out a niche for yourself and building out these, you know, 12 week plus programs? So I think like anyone, it like when I look back at how my business started and what I originally did, I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. But at the time I was like, no, this is great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I mean, I worked both jobs for two years. So I did pharmacy and my company for two years before I finally quit pharmacy. And I started with brides and grooms, to be honest, like my company name was called, um, the, the big day nutrition. Cause we worked with people for big days, like weddings all the time. And that started cause I was just helping my girlfriends get ready for their wedding. Like when you're 27, 28, you're everyone's getting married, right? Like yep. all, <laughs> I think I had nine weddings one year. So, um, that's how it kind of started. And then working with people for free and then, you know, $50 a month and you build up And then I hired my first business coach who was like, nah, we need to do this. And they kind of built me out some structure, which I loved. And then I started charging actually what I should for my time. And then as I was doing it, I was like, you know what? The common struggle I'm hearing, like the common thing I'm hearing, like I didn't just want to work with brides and grooms anymore. Even in the wedding industry, I like I shifted somewhere into women and then into like metabolically adapted cases. Like I will say 95% of the clients that we work with have been under eating forever. Like never actually eaten what they've needed to eat, never touched 2000 calories, but don't understand why they can't lose weight or, or have hypothyroid or PCOS or something like that, where we can shift lifestyle changes. So I found the demand for it and then realized this is what we're good at. And I like doing it. So just kind of shifted into that. And now that's where I am three and a half years later. (laughs) So I anticipate it'll still continue shifting, um, but that's how the niche came. It just, I followed the natural curve of where it led me. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for walking us through the name. I was like, is that a boring answer? I don't know. Oh, I love it. Um, I love that you explained the name of your company because now it makes sense to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, the big day, I get it. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a need, you know, for people to look good on the big day. And I know some um, aspect of what you do, as you mentioned with the macros metabolism is, you know, restructuring one's body and optimizing their muscle mass versus fat mass, I'm assuming. So that is definitely something that is so needed. You know, we live in such uh, an obese country, let's just say that. And and we also have the highest rates of mortality from cardiovascular disease. So all of these things and and diabetes is rampant and gestational diabetes as well. So Mm -hmm. all the things that you touched on is exactly what is affecting all of us that live here in the modern Western world and more specifically in America. So you could have all the luxuries and access to food as we were mentioning, but all of that is just, most of that is just empty calories, unfortunately. So we need to be getting the nutrient density in. 
And it, you know what, it's hard to shift lifestyles like that too. And I, I actually made like a post on Instagram today about, um, cause I don't know if you've seen some of the new programs on TV are using, uh, Ozempic or using Redelsis and things like that. Like they're giving them that medication. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, (laughs) like we're not shifting any behaviors though. It's, it's kind of like a juiced up. Well, it's not like Fentermine, but you know, the Fentermine craze too. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it's kind of like the easy button. Like, like you said, I definitely agree. There are certain people who could a hundred percent benefit from it, but then there are other people who like, we need to do this deep dive instead. Like we need to spend some time reformulating habits and lifestyles, and then we'll be good forever. And not just the three months that we're taking the medication. Right. Yeah. I I think what I found personally and professionally as I do this work is that it all comes down to what you're willing to do mm-hmm. and how you're willing to combine your time, money, and energy resources in order to get the outcome that you want. Because, you know, some people don't realize or recognize that they're not positioned in a great spot and they're at more of a risk for escalating medications and worsening disease states unless they go and address the foundation. So there's a level of awareness and education, number one. And then number two, understanding that sometimes a pill seems like the easy way out, but often it's not really that easy and it comes with drawbacks and side effects. So again, it's like making that educated choice for yourself once you know what we know as pharmacists and then what you're willing to do. Um, And sometimes it's a combination approach where yes, some medications may have to be on board, but, you know, even for these new indications of these, um, you know, injectable medications for diabetes that now is marketed for weight loss, um, most of them are not going to be covered for that indication for insurances. So people are going to have to be willing to pay the price tag. And for some people, that is the easy way out, you know, so everybody has to make that decision. And we do have that availability now, but, you know, we need to be able to support those people that are willing to do it differently and are wanting to do it differently. I was going to say, I was thinking of that. I'm like, Ooh, the cash price for injectables versus like, even with the cash price of Fentermedian, that's not going to be any joke. (laughs) That's going to be a lot. Yep. That's a huge difference. And I I like what you said too, about like uh, the thing that I find like about the foundations and kind of the people who want to do it, like what you're willing to do. And I find though, or do you find also that sometimes it takes people to like not hit rock bottom, but get that diagnosis or get that bad blood work back or something to where they finally start taking things seriously. And I would love if we could just avoid that completely, right? Like that would be an ideal world, but sometimes it takes like that scary, like a heart attack or it takes like the diabetes diagnosis or something like that before we really like shift that thought process of like, this won't ever happen to me and this is happening to me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And us being pharmacists and seeing and dispensing all these things, I was in the retail setting for a long time as well. So I think that really speaks volumes about why we're leading this movement and this lifestyle and have been supporting people through making the lifestyle changes and doing the work is because we see the need for it and we want them not to hit the rock bottom, right? So we have that level of awareness because of our job, because we've been informed and we see how often we have to dispense certain medications and how many medications a given person is taking. So that, you know, that brings it, that makes it real for us, right? Even if it's not us, it's real because it's our patients and we see it on a daily basis. And so those people that are not aware are just not going to understand you know how rampant it is and how willing people are seemingly willing to put up with the diagnosis and put up with the drug because they're not aware of these other options and the choices because there's not enough time to educate them in the doctor's office etc 
So it, you know, that's the crux of the issue, but um, having been on that side of, of things and being in that allopathic model is also informing us of the other side is possible and we are choosing to invest our time and energy in this side of the equation. The best side. I hope this side will eventually be covered by insurance too, because that would make more people interested in it, right? Like even functional medicine doctors aren't covered by insurance. So it can get pretty, pretty costly. Um, and unfortunately working with anyone one-on-one, whether it's a consultant, a lawyer, a, a health coach, a business, a business coach, it's not going to be cheap because you're getting that, that quality certified, like education, background experience all in one. So, um, trying to make it more affordable would be amazing as well. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the drivers in the allied industry is the payer, right? So the payer has a say of what they're covering on their formulary and what's not covered and all these things um, because there's a study or because there's this cost effectiveness thing, even though it may not be the best solution for the patient, it is what they've determined is on their formulary. So, you know, you're kind of uh, stuck with it unless you want to pay out of pocket. So there, it just all comes back to the choice and what is worth it for you and what's worth fighting for. Um, what's worth advocating for. And I do see a world where I already see some third-party payers paying for certain things or giving flexible spending money, Um, you know, like all those FSA and HSA cards that are actually being used for services like coaching, acupuncture, uh, gym memberships even. Gym memberships I've seen, yeah. Yeah, so I do see a world where we are shifting things. So I am optimistic. <laughs> I know. Yay. But um, I want to go back to your story and your business. And so um, I want to know, how did you start designing You know these programs, these macro um, counting? And you know how were you able to track people's results and understand that, hey, this is my niche, I'm good at that. And then also, how are you able to build a sustainable business that you could work full time from? Lots of man, lots of hours, Um, (laughs) lots of late nights too. So I found coaches in the industry who I also wanted to emulate, right? Like I really liked this model and I was like, Ooh, I want to do that. Right. Like I, they're actually helping people do what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And so you start out with just the typical like exercise plans and, and meal plans. And, you know, in Florida, if you're not a nutritionist or a dietitian, you can't write meal plans. So mm-hmm. we don't do meal plans. So we can do like the macro, uh, well, I can't even speak today. We could do like macro calculations, but it's, it's like a, a fine line. Right. And I like macros because I'm super analytical and I love the data. So like, that's my preference anyway. And I feel like for most clients, you like, I understand the, the give and take of tracking and weighing food to some, it's like extremely disordered, right? Like we don't want you to weigh your food. We don't want you to track everything you're eating. But on the opposite end, or the argument to that is we're not ever asking someone to track forever. Like it's a tool that you can use on any diet, right? Like people use macros for keto and for, for whole 30 and things like that. So it's just a tool to monitor your intake, to bring self-awareness to, oh, I had no idea this food had these nutrient components, right? Or how to build a proper Uh, plate of food without just using like the plate method, but actually seeing what you're eating and how many ounces of protein, what it looks like and kind of using your hands for portion sizes and things like that. So just bringing an awareness to how much you actually need to eat. Cause as I said earlier, most women, I mean, men too, kind of, but we under eat, we always under eat. So the majority of our clients, we have to slowly bring up calorically. And the easiest way to do that is through numbers with macros and making sure they're getting in enough protein and then making sure we're keeping carbs and fat, you know, in a certain range for that specific client. 
And so that's the best way I've found for, for data-driven results and for really precise, efficient results. And then, you know, when a client's done working with us or they're coming up at the end of their plan, if they want to switch to more intuitive eating, we kind of like, we'll ship them off of macros. Uh, but that's how like macros got started. And I love it. Like we used to be known as just like the macro coach. And now I'm trying to shift more into the metabolism coach <laughs> because I, you know, no matter what, if your insides aren't working properly, you're not going to get results on the outside. So it's really just making sure everything else is optimized, but building out these plans came with just experience. Like, okay, eight weeks is not long enough. Like it actually takes 66 days to make or break a habit, not 21. So eight weeks is just getting them there. So 12 weeks, we'll do 12 weeks as the minimum. And then we kind of just shift off of what the protocols look like, like how we need to adjust has all come from biofeedback experience, my own research. Like I like to keep up with articles and podcasts. So just constantly learning. And it's just, that's why I said like the price you pay for someone might not be because of the maybe the service that they're giving you, right? But it's it's their knowledge. So nobody can adjust or do protocols like I can specifically, like even my assistant coaches, we're all trained under the same method, but they might have a gut feeling to shift one way that's different than mine. So it comes with like a lot of experience and practice. And then biofeedback, you see how the client responds and you're like, it's not so good. Let's do this. <laughs> Yeah. So I'd love to dive into, if you could explain to like a fourth grader, what is macro calorie counting? Yeah. So explain that concept and why you chose this specifically as like your number one tool. So macros are essentially like, let's like break it down like a fourth grader. So we've all heard of tracking calories, right? Everyone knows what a calorie is. It's easier to, to do on the, on food labels. So We've heard of tracking calories, but if we gave someone a calorie amount to eat every day, like 1500 calories a day, most people will load that with fat and carbs. They won't, it won't be a balanced distribution. It'll be mostly what people gravitate towards, which is usually fat and carbs, as opposed to 1500 calories of macros. And so macros are the building blocks of calories. So proteins, carbs, and fats. So proteins are four calories per gram, carbs are four calories per gram, and fat is nine calories per gram. So we give you certain numbers to make up a total calorie intake. And then you're not focused on calories anymore. You're simply focused on hitting the numbers of those proteins, carbs, and fats every day. And whatever you can eat to hit those numbers, you're kind of golden. So that ensures that if we give you 1500 calories, you're at least gonna get in 120 grams of protein right? Which is going to be super important as opposed to the person tracking calories who might get in 50 grams of protein. So that's why we do macros is so it can be super specific and tailored to your goals. It's my fave. So I've heard, um, you know, like a calorie is a calorie, but that's been disproven, right? So the source of the calorie is what you're saying is really going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, a carb calorie is digested completely different than a protein calorie, than a fat calorie and like a, a protein, which most women too. And I speak to women because that's generally who we work with, but we don't get in enough protein per day. And protein is the most thermodynamic macro, meaning your body burns more calories digesting it. So women should just be like eating all the protein. <laughs> Um, it's also usually not stored as body fat. I mean, in complete excess of caloric intake, maybe, but very rarely. So it's something that we want to hit every day and make sure we're getting for proper hair and nails, like enzymatic activity, our immune system. If women want good hair and nails, like make sure you're getting in good protein. <laughs> I promise <laughs> no more biotin. <laughs> Yeah. And also it supports the liver and like all those amino acids Everything. that we need for antioxidant activity and detox pathways. It's like, we learned that, okay, we can't just so humanize one type of food, one type of macro or micronutrient. We can't like exalt one type and demonize another. They're all there to meet our human needs of 
all the processes that go on. Um, so like if we were to sum up all the processes that are necessary to keep us alive and healthy, you know, we would come to um, the conclusion that actually, yes, we do need a variety of diverse, whole, good quality food, including adequate protein is really important. And like you said, it's, um, I also think that women in particular under eat it. And um, do you find that women who do not eat animal products in particular suffer from this? Or what do you see in practice? To be honest, I see it all over, like not even, even the ones who eat chicken or eat, eat animal protein still aren't getting in a lot because they'll even eat like a two ounce piece and think that's sufficient. And they'll have maybe like an egg for breakfast, right? So they're still eating protein, but very small quantities. So they're still getting in 60 grams. If we do have a vegetarian or a vegan client, like sometimes they're even eating more protein than meat eaters because they know they have to focus on it in their uh, in their diets, like beans and quinoa and seeds and nuts, right? So they're they're actually paying attention a little bit more than meat eaters. So it's kind of interesting. It's it might be swapped. That is interesting, and I also would expect that actually people aren't getting enough fat either because fat has been demonized for so long. Like, what have you seen? So I will definitely be honest. Fat is not demonized in our in our group when they before they start working with us we make every client do a three-day log to see what they're already eating before we begin working with them and fat is always high because people gravitate towards like the feel-good comfort foods which are very fatty um and you know we don't measure it out properly so i would only say the really really strict like almost competitor style people. Cause I know when I was competing, my fats were like 20 grams a day. It was nothing. It was not enough for hormone health, much less brain activity. Right? <laughs> so, so fat is not something I see demonized so much. What I do, and, and I wanted to say this earlier too, why we also do macros aside from protein is because carbs are almost always demonized. Carbs are always the first thing to be eliminated when someone wants to lose weight. So with macros, it's like, here you can have carbs like you're allowed to have carbs and they're not going to be bad huh yeah like eat them because the problem is like you said every one of these macros has a function in the body that it's needed for and when we're cutting out carbohydrates we're essentially also cutting out all fiber and fiber is so crucial to digestion blood sugar everything so without fiber like good luck <laughs> getting a sustainable plan right so we focus on fiber as like our fourth macro. It's not a macro, but <laughs> our fourth tracking. <laughs> yeah, love it, love it. Um, so from a practical standpoint, walk us through what it is like to track your macros. Because um, like we were mentioning before, usually when you're eating a whole food, it has a bunch of macros. Of, well, maybe it's a one major macro, but a bunch of micronutrients and a bunch of other things. So is there like an app that breaks down and counts it towards wherever it belongs versus us having to figure that out the old fashioned way? Oh my gosh. If we had to do this the old fashioned way, I wouldn't be doing macros. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so yes, we track on an app. Um, you do have to weigh out food. And if you are listening and you do already track macros or you're interested in macros, like what we do now to measure food is usually cups and tablespoons and very like subjective measuring. And I call it subjective because depending on like what the vegetable is, depending on what the food is, it'll take up more density in a cup than say like a cup of broccoli is not going to be a cup of carrots. Like there, there's space, yeah. there's things that are going to be weird in there. So we weigh everything out on a food scale and we track it in grams or ounces and then we put it into an app and we, the app that we use is called my fitness pal. It's we like, we have our clients use the free version unless they want to use the paid version, but it's not necessary. And you can scan labels. You can like type in and use the green verified sources. So, you know, it like makes sense. Cause it'll have a bunch of entries in there. You can create recipes if you're making like a food, like a, a dish for the whole family and then portion that out. So it makes it easy and it counts it all up for you so that you know where you're at for the day and then how much you have left. So you do have to enter it into an app and it, it takes practice, but you know, maybe the first time you're tracking the first couple of weeks, it takes you like 10 minutes a day to log and then you get really good at it and it takes you less than two minutes. <laughs> 
So it just becomes like second nature. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it does sound a little bit difficult at first, but yeah, I could imagine it. You you can get used to it once you figure the app out and the scale and all There's of that. There's a learning curve. There's a learning curve. We try and walk them through it. We've made resources. <laughs> yeah, that's what um you know comes to mind when we were talking about what are you willing to do, what amount of work are you willing to commit to, and so setting those expectations I think is important too. Um, so when they know what they're signing up for, and you mentioned that you know it takes at least sixty six days, at least eight to twelve weeks to actually build that habit that's going to be good for them. So when do you start seeing like positive changes, and what are the first like positive changes that you notice happen with your clients? So the way that our program is set up, a lot of clients already start seeing progress within the first week or two, just because they're eating better foods. They're actually eating like breakfast, right? They're not skipping meals. We're doing three meals a day and two snacks. They're getting more water in because they're paying attention to it. So they already start to feel like less bloated, more energy. We're eating vegetables. We love vegetables. Um, so we go on that route and they start to see success there. And then my favorite victories, while I know clients love the scale goals too, like when you lose weight, like, yes, but I love the like PRs in the gym. Like I love the getting stronger goals. I love the, my pants are too big and I have to go shopping goals. Um, the, like I played outside with my kids for the whole hour tonight. Like I, we call them NSVs. I like the non-scale victories. I love it. So how do you track those and what are like the most surprising, you know, wins that you've noticed among clients? Surprising win? I mean, how, how we track them is we just have them pay attention. They'll tell us we do weekly check-ins with our clients too. So we go over all their data and everything once a week. Um, but the surprise, I don't know, surprising. It's just my favorite when someone who used to like maybe get really emotional and, you know, eat a whole thing of ice cream, like now has turned to going for a walk or doesn't even have the desire to binge on sweets anymore. Or, you know, those kind of things are really big to me because then it's like, okay, I know we're making like lifelong shifts and we're creating better habits and we're, we're creating that mental mind shift block. Um, so I, I like those, um, I'm trying to think of surprising, but I don't know if anything's surprising. <laughs> Do you have surprising ones? Like what are examples? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just something that like we were talking about weight loss a lot and metabolic health, um, you know, playing I mean, with the kids, like you mentioned, yeah. like anything that you wouldn't like really expect it to be a goal, but you end up having a win there. Well, I, we've definitely gotten clients off of medication, um, with the help of their doctor. Like I've emailed endocrinologists back and forth before, because as you know, like as a pharmacist, I've had clients lose weight and they're, the doctors are jacking up their insulin dose. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like my, he's complaining of hypoglycemia. Like we need to, so sometimes we've worked with doctors and gotten clients off of like PPIs and, and certain other things that they might not need because we're working on gut health. So those are, those are cool wins when we can do that. It's not expected. That's not the goal of the program, but it's very cool. And then we've had some clients actually turn into health coaches themselves because they just loved it so much too. So those are also surprising changes and wins. Yeah. I love that. I love when there's like unexpected side effects, right. Uh, positive <laughs> ones that you maybe didn't really, um, set a goal for, but they just mm -hmm. happen. And then you turn around and you're like, wow, I can't believe like, you know, I'm feeling so much happier. And like you said, I'm not eating the ice cream, not reaching for it. So yeah. I think, I think that is like a really rewarding and sometimes potentially surprising side effect. And congratulations on, you know, all the other wins you just mentioned with getting patients off meds. Um, oh. I, I always think that's great when we could take away the crutch or the band-aid and the body function like starts returning to supporting the body versus like needing the medication or the exogenous compounds, the hormone or whatever, Definitely. because it's missing. Um, yeah. So just a couple more clinical questions and I want to get back into business and then we have our rapid fire round. So from clinical, um, I would love to know what is some of the ways that you heal the gut 
that has allowed you to, again, maybe transition off PPIs, for example, proton pump inhibitors, which suppress acid in case our audience is not familiar with that term. Yeah. So one of the things that we've done is obviously a big dietary shift and that's what not many people want to hear, right? It's like, well, you have to clean up your diet a little, and this is why we're having the acidic issues we're having. Um, so definitely cleaning up the diet, more anti-inflammatory foods, more veggies, things like that, more antioxidants, sometimes doing a shot of apple cider vinegar in the morning to like get the acid going. Uh, because for those, you know, not to use apple cider vinegar as a weight loss supplement, I definitely do not support that. <laughs> but when, you know, for listeners who don't know, sometimes having acid reflux is because you don't actually have enough acid in your stomach. And so then you overshoot. So providing your stomach with acid like apple cider vinegar will actually be allow it to function a little better. So you don't need the PPI and you don't overshoot. Um, so we'll do that. We've done like supplements for like bone broth. We've done L-glutamine powder, uh, collagen, um, just depends on like the client, obviously avoiding like citrusy stuff for a while or alcohol, coffee, things like that. Not having any coffee or alcohol in an empty stomach. So little shifts like that, bringing down stress have been really successful in cleaning up like PPI usage. <laughs> Love that. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely on board with all of those. Plus I use herbal bitters as another way to oh, yeah. bitters are great. Yeah. Yeah. To stimulate the downward, uh, peristalsis and the movement and, you know, the acid going to the right, the right direction, not up, but down. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, I just also wanted to mention, um, about the alcohol, for example, like what is your stance on alcohol intake in general in these programs? And, uh, and also on, um, meat, right. The, there's the carnivore diet and also intermittent fasting. Cause you mentioned you definitely want to make sure not to skip breakfast. So what are your thoughts on all these kind of controversial things? Okay. So what was the first one? Alcohol. So we don't discourage alcohol in our program because you it's your lifestyle. We need to find something that works for your lifestyle. And if you like to go out to dinner and have two glasses of wine on the weekend or something like that, like we need to figure out how to make it fit your lifestyle. Obviously, if you eliminate it, you'll have better results. But with macros, you track alcohol like you would a food. Like macro doesn't really, alcohol doesn't really have calories or, or uh, macros per se. So what we do is we divide like the total calorie amount of that alcoholic beverage you're having by four for carbs or nine for fat. And it puts things into perspective because using something really simple, like a white claw, it's a hundred calories, but on the can, it says two grams of carbs, but we know calorically now through math, that would mean it should be eight calories, right? So where are those empty calories going? So instead in our program, we divide hundred calories by four and now it's 25 grams of carbs. So if you're going to have a white claw, you, do you want, it's kind of like, do I want bread or do I want a white claw? <laughs> so it makes them more mindful of their choices. And, you know, some days you go with the wine, some days you go with more pasta. It just depends on what kind of day you're having, but that's where we keep it a little more mindful with alcohol. So not discourage it, but make more mindful choices. Like that margarita that's 400 calories, probably not going to be the best idea. <laughs> and then yeah, I definitely classify closer to the carb, you know, cause it does break down into sugars. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we do either macro for whatever fits, but like carbs is usually depending on the alcohol, like you'll, you'll do the mixer separately, which so all sweet and sour mix is going to be sugar. Right. So Carnivore, I think is ridiculous. Cause again, there's no fiber, there's no vegetables, there's no nutrients. I'm not shaming on meat at all. Like I'm a big meat eater. We promote meat. Obviously I prefer more grass fed and free range and wild caught sources of protein. Um, but nothing against that. Just not really a fan of carnivore. I don't really think it's sustainable for most people. And then intermittent fasting and I could be a podcast episode on its own. Um, I don't encourage it for women. I don't, I've seen so many negative side effects with hormones and stress and 
you know, the reason it's working or it's become so popular is because it's essentially a calorie deficit. Like you're shortening the amount of time you eat it, you're eating food. So while it works great for digestion and autophagy and like longevity long-term, we're not using it for that, right? Like most women are not using it for that. They're using it to eat less. And when they're already sometimes eating less, that's just causing more of a stress response on the body, more blood sugar dysregulation sometimes. And I've seen when we actually incorporate breakfast and we incorporate stopping the fasting, like they will actually start getting results because cortisol can probably come down we're being fed. <laughs> we're, we're being fed. Cravings go away. It kind of, it kind of helps. You might have a different opinion, but I just, I don't love it in women. <laughs> yeah. I've heard both opinions and it does certainly seem to be very, um, individual, obviously, first of all, but second of all, it does seem to be more problematic with women because we just have a different fat distribution, a different hormone right. profile, and the hormones are also fat and cholesterol based. So, um, it also affects our moods a lot and our neurotransmitters. So we, I definitely see the benefits of fasting as far as what you mentioned, plus, you know, just giving the body a rest also right. to focus on uh, digestion, let's say, because most of us aren't taking enough breaks in between meals to let our digestive system um, rest. So I think it's really important for that. And also to make sure there's enough of a window, um, like, during the nighttime when our organs can also like the liver, for example, restores itself and the normal cycles that have to go on in a fasting state. So, um, you know, I see the benefits, but personally, you know, having tried it at different points in my life, sometimes it works for me and sometimes yeah. it doesn't. So, it, you know, you just have to kind of tune in. I will say, I think if women wanted to do it or try it, like the typical overnight or even 10 to 12 hours of fasting can sometimes be sufficient. Like we don't need to do the 16, eight, right? Like the really extreme window of intermittent fasting. Um, you could do shorter windows. Like you said, while you're sleeping at night, like that is fine. Seven to seven or eight to eight, whatever. Um, but not like the really extreme cases. I don't know if it's necessary. Yeah, I agree. I think 12 hours is a really good time to for your system to decompress and enjoy the benefits of that fasted state. Um, so I also wanted to touch on, you said stress, right, is, is something that you track and monitor and that can make a huge difference. So what, um, in your opinion, is like something that really contributes to stress or something that you've found is really helpful for dealing with stress? So when we get on consult calls with clients, I always ask them to rate their stress levels from one to 10 for a typical day. Like how do you, how stressed do you feel on a typical day? One to 10, 10 being the highest. And I get like the ones who say like a two or a one to four, I was like, teach me, you're not a business owner. <laughs> you can tell. And then, you know, other ones will be like, I consider high, like seven to 10, right. That, that range. And so that's just their perceived level of stress and that's work kids. That's all of that stuff. But then we get into how much are you actually eating per day, which under eating, which I've said a lot already is a big stressor on the body Overtraining, which we get a lot is a big stressor on the body. And especially doing like high intensity interval training five days a week, four days, like all of that is very stressful on the body. Not enough sleep, fasting, um, all of that can be super stressful. So when that all happens, we kind of have to a like we have to balance that stress. We have to mitigate that stress in some way. And that means like for work-life balance stress, walks in nature, going outside in the sunshine, uh, meditation, breath work, yoga, uh, something creative that you like doing like painting or music or, or something like that, right? Like whatever's your outlet, like I'm not gonna make anyone journal if they don't love to write. So finding an outlet for them that way. And then possibly bringing their food up, taking the exercise down, getting more sleep, more rest days, which sounds counterintuitive to them at the time. They're like, you want me to do what to lose weight? What? <laughs> but stress is, is ultimately why we came into the metabolic model is because of how it all affects like the different axes in the body and what people aren't talking about. Yeah. And this also relates to how in general, like the system that we're part of just really values productivity and the patriarchy and all these things. Go, that, go, go. Yeah. yeah what, what brings us value as human beings, but 
we forget to like enjoy the time that we have and we're just always focused on the next goal um, rather than just kind of enjoying the moment and smelling the roses and that's what's missing. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So I love that you incorporate that approach as well. And so my last question to you, um, you know, I've really enjoyed the conversation <laughs> that, that we've been having. Um, the last question is really about your business and how uh, you structured it. So you mentioned that you work with other coaches. So you're the CEO and founder. So how did you build out your beautiful website and what do you have going on as far as your business? Website, my easy answer is I hired someone to do it. <laughs> Like that was an investment at the time to do. And I actually want to redo it. So just thinking about all that is crazy. But um, to be honest, again, like I invested in myself and into other business coaches who kind of cleaned up my services and my streamline. I got everything more efficient, my check-in processes, like my operating procedures. So I, I had someone helping, like coaching me on the back end on how to make this more efficient. And at the time, I think I said, like, I was doing pharmacy and this at the same time with 45 clients. And I was like, I can't take on anymore. Like, we're growing. I need another coach. So I hired another coach. And then I hired another coach. And then my goal is to, I'm actually hiring right now. So if you're listening <laughs> and you're a health coach or a dietitian, we're hiring. Um, no, but in all reality, like, I just want to grow and help as many people as we can. And that just includes... Like I'm no longer, it's kind of sad. I don't take on clients anymore at the moment because running the business, as you know, is, is a full-time gig. And I don't want to take away time from clients that they deserve either. So, um, that's what the assistant coaches are for. And I always joke, like I'm a little type A. So if I trust them with like the clients, right. With my babies, they're good. Like they're, <laughs> they're yeah. <good> <laughs> Love it. Well, it sounds like you've created a very sustainable business model and I love, you know, what you're doing and the type of impact that you're having and also like recognizing that it took work, perseverance and, you know, bravery also, um, you know, it's to kind of just step out and trust that it will all work out. And, um, you know, I wish you lots of success um, in the future. So let's jump into our rapid fire round. I just have a couple of questions here. Um, so what would be the number one thing somebody could do to improve their quality of life right now? I would say get, I always have a stereotypical answer. It's supposed to be rapid. Honestly, I drink water. Like everyone's dehydrated. I will say increase your water to at least like half your body weight in ounces plus 20 more ounces. <laughs> If you can hit a gallon, great, but water is going to, I was, I was like movement, but then I'm like, you know what? Water, like people need water. <laughs> All right. I'll accept two answers. So water and movement. Love it. <laughs> Number two. Um, what is your favorite meal? Like describe your perfect meal. Ooh, I love steak. So I love a good steak, potatoes, and like sauteed asparagus or something like that. Like it's not even anything crazy. I love a good steak and potatoes. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, potatoes are definitely part of my heritage and one of my favorite things to eat. And you can eat in, in like a ton of different ways. So yes. I love it too. Um, and now I've become a fan of like sweet potatoes too, even though they're not related, but, yeah. but they both have the word potato in it. Um, so it works. But um, to piggyback off your first answer and allow you to talk a little bit more about movement, why don't you also tell us like your all-time favorite exercise that everybody should be doing? Ooh, exercise, like one movement? One exercise, if you had to choose, and let's say for women. Deadlifts. <laughs> I have never done one in my life. <laughs> Deadlifts. Honestly, if, if you're going to do one movement, make it a compound exercise and a deadlift is a compound exercise because not only are you working like your lats and your upper body to stabilize the bar, your core and your midsection, you're holding tight so you can lift the weight. It works your hamstrings and your glutes. And that's what ladies want. Deadlifts. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. You always want to make sure your big muscle groups are engaged and you've pretty much named all of them. So <laughs> that was a really tough question, but I think you nailed it. So 
again, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on, telling us about your health journey, your business journey, and also your views and how you work with clients to get them amazing results. I'm really happy that you came on to share your wisdom. So my last question for you would be, how can people get in touch with you? Ooh, okay. So you can visit the website um, at, well, it's Team BDN Coaching now, teambdncoaching.com. Or the best way to get in touch with me physically is Instagram at dr.dwyer. Send me a message. I don't really, like, I answer everything. I'm very responsive. I love Instagram. We can be friends. So Instagram is the best way. (laughs) Great. So I'll have that in the show notes. And you mentioned that you have a podcast. What's the name of it? Uh, The name is Health Unscripted. So a little play on pharmacy words there. Um, It's on Apple and Spotify. I am literally just now getting back into it. I recorded my first episode back last week. I plan on doing another one this week. I'm very excited. It's like, unlike this, which I love and I want to get into, they're like 15 to 20 minute digestible episodes just to do real quick and go off on a walk. (laughs) Yeah, I love that style as well. So I'm excited to follow your podcast and share it with our listeners. And by the time this airs, yours will be probably up and running already. So um, (laughs) I'm happy to get that going. All right. Well, thank you again, Ashley, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It was so great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.